I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 as we continue uh, our uh, evening studies through uh, the book of Proverbs. As a reminder, this is uh, the king of Israel passing down instruction uh, to his son, the Messiah. What does it look like to walk in the ways of God? And as he speaks to the heir of the throne, here we're given uh, a window into what life looks like for the whole people of God to walk in God's ways. Perhaps um, contains the most um, well-known passage here in Proverbs, and I think one we should lend our ear to. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is God's word. question that we have before us, I think a, question, a simple question we need to consider is that, um, of this. What is faith? It is a simple question, but if you remember our broader context that we've looked at over the past few weeks, uh, here is what we might call the kid's catechism. If you recall, Proverbs 3 is Solomon instructing his son in the very thing that Moses has been teaching the book of Deuteronomy. You see, again, in those opening verses of this chapter, my son, do not forget my Torah. Verse 4, or verse 3, write them on the tablet of your heart. Here is that imagery that Moses himself gave as he instructed the nation of Israel to train their kids up in hearing all that the Lord has commanded. And here we find a very simple, childlike explanation of the very thing that Scripture calls us to do, and that is one of faith. Faith is a Bible word, but perhaps it is a word that has been subjected too long to what we might call Christianese. Uh, it's so easy for us to throw around certain terms and phrases and concepts and assume that uh, everybody around us knows what it means, much less assuming uh, that we know what it means. So I think tonight's a good refresher on uh, the basics of the Christian faith. Simply put, faith means this, trust. It's trusting God. And that is what Solomon calls his son to do here in this passage. But we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean uh, to trust God? And what does trusting God look like throughout the week? Our passage this evening, Solomon beckons us to trust our Heavenly Father with all, all our heart and in all our ways. And when he do so, he promises three things here, to guide us, to heal us, and to provide for us. We see that here in verses 5 and 6, 7, 8, 8 and 9. 
and 10. Three promises attending three commands that center on trusting God. So we're going to consider these three promises this evening that under guidance, again, in verses 5 and 6, healing, verses 7 and 8, and provision, in verses 9 and 10. The first, again, as you see in this section, there's these alternating commands and promises that we've been working our way slowly through. And he begins here with yet another command and another promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he, here's the promise, will make straight your paths. And what a world that we live in. A world that is dark and confusing. It is scary. It's very dangerous. Every day we are confronted with choices. Where should we go? What are we to do? And who are we to trust? We encounter trials full of twists, turns, and terrors. We have to ask. And we constantly do ask, who is it that we seek for counsel? Where do we turn to for direction? And whose counsel can we trust? The wisest man on earth simply uh, tells his son in very childlike terms, you can trust God and I am exhorting you to put your trust in God. Have faith in God. I think for me, the most frustrating feature that I've seen over the past nearly two years now is uh, this particular question. Who is it that you can trust? So we look at the news and the various media outlets and even the government. Um, Various stories continue popping up that erodes uh, public trust in these uh, particular individuals or groups that are supposed to elicit trust. I think the pandemic would have been much easier to navigate if everyone knew who it was that they could trust. Trust elicits clarity and confidence. Um, If you don't trust somebody who is leading you, it makes for a very scary situation. Well, Solomon says here that you can trust God. Not only does he say you can trust God, this is actually not given in the indicative. Here he gives a great imperative. Trust in the Lord. Not just partially, not just half-heartedly, not just simply as a token, as if you're uh, dropping a quarter in the slot machine, hoping something that will come back uh, to benefit you. Rather, it is a wholehearted trust, he says, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, with your whole being, without reservation, without skepticism. You think of the stories that we read of in Scripture where the Lord shows himself time and time again to be trustworthy. You think, uh, perhaps, the, uh, the, the, the model, the exemplar of faith in the Old Testament is that of Abraham. Here's a man that his whole life all he wanted was a son. And the Lord gives it to him. He promises it to Abraham, and he gives Abraham the very thing that he wanted. And yet in Genesis 22, the Lord appears to Abraham one morning without warning, says it's time to lay your son on the altar. What is it that Abraham does? We're told that Abraham makes plans to do this very thing unreservedly. What is it that Abraham tells his servants? As they uh, bind up the firewood and they put it on the donkey, Abraham turns to his servants and says, you, you guys stay here. Me and my son, we're going to go worship. And both of us will be back in a few days. The author of Hebrews 
says this, that Abraham reckoned that God was able even to raise his own son from the dead because the Lord had promised that Isaac would be his offspring, uh, the one through whom the nations would be blessed. And Abraham counted on this very thing, that it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, God is trustworthy. So Abraham knew he could entrust all that he had and all that he loved to the Lord his God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, meaning with all of your mental faculties, with all of your desires and affections, with all of your choosings. Commit them all to the Lord. This is not simply an intellectual assent, though it does include that. That is part of the package. But rather, this is a, a call for a wholehearted trust. Again, as we've if worked through that, uh, Pastor Troxel's book on the heart these past few months, think of what all that means, what all is entailed in trusting him with our whole selves. Here Solomon tells his son that we are to trust God more than we trust ourselves. Lean not on your own understanding. There is a contrast here between putting your hope in God versus falling back on your own uh, personal resources. We are called to put all of our eggs uh, in that one proverbial basket. This is not simply trusting God 95%, uh, but having a little bit uh, in our back pocket for uh, to fall back on. You know, when trials hit, it becomes so easy to default self-preservation. We can uh, claim that we trust God, except where trusting God really counts. How often do we tend to trust in our own wisdom, in our own experience, in our own know-how, to use even as a crutch? But this is not what Scripture tells us to do, is it? Do not let the wise man boast in his wisdom, Jeremiah says. Rather, let him who boasts, boasts in this one thing, that he knows me, says the Lord. So we are to trust the Lord with all that is in us, but the question then becomes, in what areas are we called to trust him in? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer, in all your ways, not just the big decisions, not just the difficult decisions, in all of your decisions, big or small, seemingly simple or difficult. Charles Bridges, in his commentary on Proverbs, puts it like this, consider no circumstance too clear to need his direction. The Christian's life is one of continued dependence and trust on the Lord in his gracious providence. Solomon is not warning against confidence. He's not calling for his son to second-guess every decision. Oh, should I have gone to McDonald's instead of Wendy's today? That is not the point of Solomon's exhortation. He's not here trying to uh, cause us to be left in a a perpetual state of doubt. Rather, what Solomon is warning against is not confidence, but self-confidence and presumption. As we are called to bring every decision under scrutiny of God's word. This is how God leads his people. Not through mystic experiences or uh, uh, um, uh, ecstatic uh, uh, moments uh, of clarity. Uh, Not through kind of Christianized horoscopes or reading the tea leaves of the day. But simply by committing ourselves to the word of God 
and knowing that he will lead us in all things. What does it look like to submit uh, uh, and bring every decision under scrutiny of God's word? Well, as we make our plans, we ask, do they violate God's word, yes or no? And then secondly, my intentions, my plans, are they prudent, yes or no? I think those are very, two very important questions and connect, uh, questions that relate to one another. You know, first, you know, think again about Abraham. Whenever he, uh, whenever we read of him in Scripture, anywhere he went, what was the first thing that he did? He built an altar. In other words, here is a man who committed all of his ways to the Lord, his God. Before David fought any battle, the very first thing he asked was this: Should we go to battle? Yes, okay. How should we proceed? There's that moment in, I believe it's 2 Samuel, where David actually fails to do that, and it costs him a great number of men. We are to entrust ourselves to the Lord by evaluating life's moral decisions in light of what God's word says. Do not presume even in the little things. You think of what James himself writes. He says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live to do this or that. And to do so otherwise is to boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Notice there what's going on in the book of James. It's not a bad thing to try to, if you have your own business, to try to make money to provide for your family. But even our attitude in the things and plans that we have for our work should be done recognizing that all things are commended to the Lord for his providence. You know, James is not encouraging us to have, you know, to add some type of kind of lucky rabbit's foot type mantra to the beginning of any time we talk about our plans, but rather, what is our internal disposition? We should not presume on the very things that we will do tomorrow or the next week uh, or the next year. I might, I hope this doesn't happen, I might die in a car crash on the way home. And so what do we do? So, well, tomorrow, if the Lord wills it, I plan to fly to California for a minister's conference. But I am not the captain of my own fate. I should not presume to speak with such uh, boasted arrogance that the things that I plan to do, in fact, will actually happen. In all of our ways, we are called to acknowledge the Lord. Quite literally, the text says, in all of your ways, know him. Right? Solomon is not giving some type of kind of baptized formula for a, for a Christian horoscope. Uh, here we are not consulting a fortune teller. Sol- uh, Solomon is not calling us to adhere to some type of mathematical formula where we just kind of utter a couple sentences and everything is going to be hunky-dory, or that we are simply to, to have a bare tip of the hat to acknowledge God's existence. As if the only thing Scripture is calling us to do is, is simply to say, well, you know, if the Lord wills it, uh, you know, I'll be able to, to come back you know, next week. 
or next month I'll be able to go out and do this. That's just a bare kind of tip of, tip of the hat towards our creator. That is not what Solomon's getting at. He says, in all of your ways, know him. This is the language of personal trust. Your father cares for you, so consult him. That is what Solomon is getting at. Here is a heavenly, a heavenly father who is trustworthy and calls to you to consult him in all of your decisions. The psalmist puts it like this, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. He will not fear evil tidings, for his heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. The Lord will keep the steadfast mind in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So that when trials um, and afflictions surprise us and assail us, when we receive bad news unexpectedly, we will not be left as a ship tossed about at sea. For we have a firm anchor in which our hope is grounded Charles Bridges again puts it like this, the Lord loves to be consulted. Therefore, take all thy difficulties to be resolved by him. Be in the habit of going to him in the first place, in the first place, before self-will, before self-pleasing, before self-wisdom, before human friends, before convenience, and before expediency. When you do this, it does not matter how thick the fog is before you, your Father will lead you every step of the way. For the steps of the righteous are indeed ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say that we will know what is going to happen two steps in front of us, or perhaps even one step in front of us. All we are promised is that the Lord, as our good and faithful shepherd, will guide us every step of the way as we entrust ourselves to him. So how is it that we trust, entrust ourselves to the Lord? It is by subjecting your plans to God's revealed word and entrusting the result to your heavenly Father who does all things well. You see that here in verses 7 and 8 where it leads to our second command and promise. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil. It will, here's the promise, be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And you know, sometimes we think we know it all. And then even when we don't think that we know it all, we still think that we know more than we really do. I think all of us have a uh, boasted overconfidence in how much we know. Who is it that we are to trust. Well, verse 7 says, there's certainly one person you are not to trust, and that is yourself. Do not be wise in your own eyes. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can know his very own heart? As we've already been told by Solomon, wisdom's starting point is not in your own ingenuity, Uh, your own academic achievements or accomplishments or publications, the starting point for wisdom is found in fearing God. So we ask, how do we fear God? Well, Solomon, again, in very simple terms, tells us fearing God looks like this, by turning from evil and heeding God's commandments. 
See, there's a very intimate connection between fearing God and fearing sin. If you fear God, you will fear to sin. You think of uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, where he's being seduced by the most powerful woman in the kingdom, apparently a very beautiful lady, and she wants him, and he says, how in the, Lord would I, how in the world would I ever sin against my Lord? He knows what to do because he fears the Lord. It is in sin's very nature to justify its own actions. And we can justify anything that we do given enough time. You know, the fallen mind is good at one thing. It is really good at deceiving everyone around them, including deceiving oneself. So who is it that we are to trust? Not yourself. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Rather, trust in the Lord. Without God's word, we are left scrambling in the dark. Solomon is then not calling for thoughtlessness. Uh, I can't take the number of times I've heard sermons or kind of many youth talks about trusting the Lord um, uh, as if there is no thoughtless, uh, there, there's no thoughtfulness that is be, to be attended to our ways. Rather, it's the exact opposite. We're called to consider our ways in light of the light of God's word. As we order our thoughts and think God's thoughts after him according to the light that he has given us in Scripture. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We begin by asking as we evaluate our moral decisions and all of our decisions in life uh, by uh, placing that decision and subjecting it to the scrutiny of the moral law of God. That's the first thing that we do. We consider what we're about to do and we go, is what I'm doing right? Pray that the Spirit would use His Word to convict you of sin and to instruct you in righteous living. There might be something that you really want to do and your heart tells you it feels so right. But then Scripture says, don't do that. I remember dating a girl a number of years ago who uh, uh, we got along great. Um, but over the course of the next few months, started to realize I don't think she uh, professes faith in Christ. What is the option? Well, Scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Deep down, what do you have in common with one another? And you, and you keep looking, go, well, we laugh at all the same jokes. We enjoy all the same movies. Why can't I just do this one thing? And yet, Scripture gives a very clear counsel on the very things that we are to do. As we'll see in chapters 5, 6, and 7, in that particular matter, wisdom cries out quite loudly might not be the path that you want to go, but God's word gives clarity in where you are to set your heart, not only your actions, but also your desires, the very things that you're to love. You're to love the things that the Lord commands you to do. Even if it breaks your heart in the process, it is for your good. So the first question as we evaluate our moral decisions, is this right? 
But then the second question we can ask is, is it prudent? Right? It might not be immoral to buy that new house that you want, but is it wise? Seek the Lord's guidance in prayer, and then begin to ask very simple, uh, wise-like questions. Can I afford it? You're signing up for an intramural sport on the weekends to relax is not bad, but you have to ask yourself, what happens if I'm called to compete during a church service on the Lord's Day? Which is more important? What if the path is unclear? What if, for instance, your boss tells you to fudge the accounting book, and you know that it's illegal, but if you don't do it, you will lose your job, or at the very least, any promise of a job promotion in this company. What do you do? We remind ourselves of whatever Savior has told us. Do not fear the one who can cast your body into the grave, but fear him who can cast you body and soul into hell. You see what I mean? These are very simple things, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of honest evaluation with yourself. Am I willing to trust the Lord with my whole heart, even uh, if uh, there are parts of my heart that do not want to go in that direction? Again, think about Abraham with his own son. He was able to trust the Lord in all things, knowing that the Lord cannot lie, and he does all things well. Ask these simple questions in communion with God. Seek his direction in the word and in prayer. Of course, that means you must know Scripture, and it enjoins you to consider Him, to know Him in all that you do. God has no desire to be an absentee landlord, but rather a loving Father who gives wisdom freely. The Bible is sufficient to give us wisdom for all that is needed for life and for godliness. You know, Solomon says here to turn from evil. Again, he, he's eliciting yet another Bible term. What's that word? That word, to turn from evil, to turn from sin, is this. It is repentance. Here, what we see is a simple kid's catechism on faith and repentance. Martin Luther once said, you, don't, you never outgrow your catechism. And Proverbs, I think, is giving us, in very simple terms, what it means to trust the Lord, to put our faith in Him, and to turn from sin to amend our ways, to reorder our life according to God's wisdom rather than our own heart's desires. God's wisdom, which is found in God's word. You do this, and here's the promise, you will find wholeness. Wholeness here speaks more of simple physical health. We can, of course, remind ourselves of the great hope uh, of the resurrection of the body on the last day where death itself will be slain. But here, I think it's bringing into view other features. You notice this language uh, of, uh, of health being to your, uh, to your bones and to your body. It's eliciting that same language that David himself gives in Psalm chapter 32 uh, when he refused to heed God's wisdom. David says, when I hid my ways from God, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy on me day and night, and yet when I confessed my sin, when I brought it to the light, you forgave the iniquity of my sin, and you brought health, and you brought healing, and you instructed me in the path that I should go. How wearying sin is. What joy and what refreshment comes when we turn from sin 
and find mercy in Christ and walk according to God's path. This is the promise that the Lord gives. When we trust the Lord and turn from sin, he will bring wholeness in areas we did not even realize that sin was wreaking havoc on ourselves. Because all man wants to do when he sins is hide from God. The psalmist speaks of the man who denies God's existence jumping even at the rustling of a leaf. What peace can be found when you turn to the Lord knowing that he will fully pardon you of your sins? What comfort, what wholeness that brings, what soundness of mind that brings to one's heart. As the psalmist himself says, you restore my soul, you lead me into paths of righteousness for your namesake, such that I shall not fear the valley of death's own shadow, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, the the instruction that the Lord gives, those things are a comfort to me. And so we're called to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And that even includes our finances. You see that here, finally, in verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats bursting forth with wine. See, verses 9 and 10 shows that we are not simply to trust God in spiritual matters, but we are to trust him in the quote-unquote material things as well. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Verses 9 and 10 remind us and gives but one example of one of those, all of those ways in which we are to acknowledge him. Not just in the eternal things, but also in those temporal concerns and matters. It is certainly odd, isn't it? And I, I'm, I'm speaking uh, from experience, even now, how we claim to trust God for our souls when we do not even trust him with our finances, even though he is the very one who has provided us with all things. Yet Solomon says that to trust God with all our heart means to trust him with, in all of our ways, and that includes our areas of finance. Honoring the Lord with our wallets, giving to him, is a practical way in which we show that we trust him. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your earnings, not the leftovers, not your backwash. It really runs contrary to human ingenuity. But again, that's the thing. Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust God. Those who honor me, I will honor, says your heavenly father, 1 Samuel chapter 2. See, I think this is where the rubber hits the road. Solomon calls us to put our money where our mouth is. We're not called to trust in an abstract principle. We're not being commanded to adhere to the newest get-rich-quick formula. Again, we're called to acknowledge him, to know the Lord in all of our ways and to know him is to give to him, knowing that he's already given us what we have in the first place. He's not standing in need of it. This is a practical matter of entrusting ourselves to him, resting confidently that just as he has provided for all things, so he will continue to do. Prophet Malachi puts this before the people of God in Malachi chapter 3, when the Lord says through Malachi, will man rob God? yet you are robbing me. 
And they say, well, how, how have we robbed you? And in what ways? The Lord says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. On the one hand, I, I think there's the tendency for us to want to kind of back away from uh, how these verses are used among kind of the health and wealth, prosperity, gospel type folk, but at the same time, this is something that the Lord tells the people of God to trust him, uh, to entrust ourselves to him, and to remind ourselves, God's own promises, that he will provide for us if we trust him. Trust God in all things. In salvation, yes. Spiritual matters, of course. But here, very simply, in two little verses, we're called to trust God in our daily affairs as well. Very practical application. Commend yourselves to God. Subject yourself to the authority of his word. So as we consider and reflect on God's message to us this evening, we have to ask ourselves and evaluate our own hearts so that we might walk the path of wisdom. Who do you trust more? Do you trust yourself more? Or do you trust your Savior? Who do you fear more? Do you fear your friends more? Or do you fear your Heavenly Father more? Who do you honor more? Your own creaturely comforts or your creator. This is the path of faith. To entrust ourselves to God in all that we do, knowing that if we take him at his word, he will guide us through this life. He will heal us of our sins. And he will provide for us in all of our needs. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we ask that you would teach us to trust you more uh, fully and faithfully, and that in so doing, you would show yourself as the God who does not change, the God who has provided for the saints of old and will continue to provide for our very need, all who trust in your Son. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.